This morning, I'd like to uh, to speak to you on a on a subject that is uh, very important if we're going to take living the Christian life uh, seriously. And this is probably, I would say, one of, if not the most important thing that Jesus Christ has given us to do. Because this one thing um, will require everything we have, and it will uh, help us to reflect Jesus Christ to a non-believing world and to a believing world. We need love just like the world needs it. But, you know, there's something you need more than love. I'm going to talk to you about that this morning. And before we do, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 13, uh, verses 34 and 35. I'm going to read these verses again because uh, this is a commandment that is mentioned over and over and over again in the New Testament. Um, all of the apostles talk about it, um, the love of Christ and our need to love one another. And there's over uh, 30 different one another's, but all of the other one another's have maybe two, three references at most. Most of them only have one reference. But when it says to love one another, there's over 28 references in the New Testament that we're, we're commanded to love one another. So there's a real importance that uh, not just Jesus Christ puts on this command, but all of the New Testament writers uh, talk about the love that we're to have for one another and the importance of it. So let's read what Jesus Christ says. <clears throat> and again, this is on the night before he is betrayed and crucified. So he's, he's wanting to uh, leave in his disciples' minds some very important things. And in chapter 13, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. But it's not enough to just love one another. He tells you how. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know if you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, in these two verses, he said this actually four times. When he says, by this, he's referring back to that command to love one another. He says, I want you to love one another as I loved you. As I've loved you, I want you to love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if, optimum word, if you have love for one another. Now think about that as we begin uh, this morning, all right? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do come before you and we acknowledge our need of you to teach us, to guide us into your truth that you have given to us. Lord, I pray that you would help me as I uh, explain some of the principles of love and what it means and what it will require of us if we are to take this command seriously. Lord, I pray that we will, that you would empower us to do it in a way that will impact our world for the cause of Christ. Lord, I do pray for Scott and Hamish as they're away from us this morning. And Lord, we pray that you would give them a, a, just a refreshing and energizing time at the Impact Conference. And we just ask that you would just uh, encourage those pastors and lay leaders uh, in a very special way. And may they be in, encouraged to, uh, to walk with you more closely and to, uh, to demonstrate your love for our world as they come back. And Lord, may we take up uh, this call to obey your command to love others the way you have loved us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. Well, I want to begin by um, telling you that when when Laurie and I first got married, um, you know, we had gone through premarital counseling. We went through the uh, personality tests and temperament analysis tests, and I I felt I you know I thought, man, I didn't know marriage could be so testing. <laughs> <laughs> we we you know we got it all sorted out. We knew exactly what we you know our strengths and weaknesses. And uh, our premarital counselor he said, "Now Barry, I'm just going to tell you your first fight is going to be in this area." And I said, "Oh no, we'll never fight. We've dated for four years. What do you mean fight? We'll never fight." Well, shortly after we got married, <laughs> we had our first fight. <laughs> and guess what? It was exactly in the area that he told me it was going to be in. And so uh, I, you know, I tried to work with Laurie. <laughs> and she got so upset and she went back to the counselor and um, was talking with him and saying, you know, I, uh, I have a problem and I just, I need some help. And he goes, okay, that's fine. Uh, send Barry in. And she goes, no, 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 it's, he doesn't even know I'm here. I, I, I need help. And he goes, yeah, I know. Just send Barry in. And uh, she goes, no, no, he, he's going to get upset. <laughs> and he goes, that's okay. Send Barry in. And so she came home and she said, Barry, I went to see uh, Mr. Hubler today and uh, I really wanted to try to get some things sorted. And I said, oh, yeah? What did he say? You know? He goes, he said he wants to see you. <laughs> I said, well, that's fine. I'll go and see him. <laughs> I got plenty to talk about. <laughs> and I did. I went and I saw him. And unfortunately, I unloaded both my barrels uh, and told him exactly what was the problem. And he just kept asking me, is there anything else? Is there anything else? Is there anything else? And I loaded and unloaded and not emptied. And I mean, I just, I mean, I shot all of the ammunition I had. Telling him why uh, I was having problems with this woman that you gave me, Lord. <laughs> and he goes, okay. After he said, is that all? A number of times. He, I said, yep, that's, that's pretty much it. He goes, so what are you going to do about it? What do you mean? What am I going to do about it? It's her problem. She's got to do something about it. He goes, no, 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 no. You mean to tell me that you're a preacher and you don't know the answer to this? All right, I'm missing something here. I'm missing something really big. He goes, uh, what does Ephesians chapter 5 Verse, what is it, 25, tell you to do? Well, it says that she's supposed to submit to me. Because <laughs> no, that's 23. What's 25 say? <laughs> that wasn't written for you. What was 25? Uh, I'm supposed to love her like Christ loves the church. He goes, yep, go do that. Everything will be sorted. And I went, Really? He goes, yeah. So the reason you're having problems with her is because you're not loving her the way you ought to. You see, we think our biggest need in life is to be loved. But it's not. Our biggest need in life is to love someone else in a way that they know that you love them. That's the greatest need that we have, is to love someone else in such a way that they know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we love them. Have you ever loved someone in that way where you have no doubt in your mind they know you love them? That is one of the most rewarding things 
in life. And I think Jesus Christ is saying we need to understand something. This concept of loving one another, it's not just about you, it's about them. But you need to understand your need for love will be met when you learn how to love one another as Jesus Christ loves you. So this is going to require some things of you, isn't it? You're going to have to get to know Christ and how he loved you. So you can know how you ought to love one another. I began uh, this series on loving one another back probably in February in our own church uh, after a very difficult summer. Uh, I thought things were going really well and then we lost a real key couple and the church just really went, ugh, what's wrong with us? And I couldn't go back and start preaching about anything except going back to the basics. I was telling our leadership team, I go, well, when you don't know what to do, do what you know you ought to do. And at the end of the day, if we don't do anything else, this is what we need to be doing. Because this is the commandment of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says, if you do this, you're going to impact the world for my sake. If you don't do this, you won't impact the world. Paul goes so far as to say you won't grow. <laughs> the church will not grow unless you do this. What are we supposed to grow up in? <laughs> We're to grow up in love. You see, we need help. <laughs> to love one another the way Christ loves us. And love is costly. And this morning, I just want to share kind of um, six key ideas of six sermons that I preached on loving one another the way Christ loves us. Because if we can get this right, I think it'll revolutionize the way you live in your home, the way we do church, the way we minister to others in our community. If we don't understand what it means to love one another as Christ loves us, we're going to miss it. And we will be ineffective. And we will continue to have struggles in our marriages, in our relationships with our kids, with our relationships within the church family, with our relationships within the social club, with relationships at work, we're just going to have problems unless we understand what love is. What is it? How important is it? What is the essence of love? And I'm going to try to make this as simple as I possibly can because I'm pretty simple and if I can get it <laughs> then I'm much more likely to do it but if I don't get it I, I, it's just too complicated so let me share six things with you to, today and again I'm not going to deal with the text I'm going to show you where what the text is what it says and then I'm just going to give you the the key idea of that passage. And then I'm going to follow that up with a key question. So I want to give you a, a central truth and then the main idea and six questions that you can ask yourself to determine what is the most loving thing you should do. In no matter what relationship you have, 
what's the most loving thing you should do? Because if you get this, like I say, you won't be the same. It, it will change the way you do life. And I think that's what Jesus Christ is saying. Guys, I'm fixing to leave you. You need something that will change the way you do life. And if you get a hold of this, it'll, it will change everything. That's how important this truth is for the life of a believer. In this passage, he talks about that commandment. But I had uh, Greg read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I want to go over there. And I just want to, I'm not going to reread it, but I am going to point out a couple of things in this passage. In verse number 4, he says, Love suffers long and is kind. And then he lists a, a number of things that love doesn't do and what it's not. And then he tells you what it does do. But as I was studying this passage, I, I, I went, but what is love? <laughs> what does it mean to love someone? And I looked at that first word, suffers long or is patient. Well, that really doesn't tell me what the essence of love is. It tells me that we put up with people. <laughs> Basically, okay, but how do I love them? Part of love is putting up with people, but if that's all you're doing, you can put up with someone and not love them. And here he says, love suffers long and is kind. Now here it is. Number one in your outline, the essence of love is kindness. You can read all through this passage. I have a number of times trying to figure out what does what does love do? What, help me, Lord, know what love is. There's only one thing this passage tells us love is, and love is kind. The essence of love is kindness. If you're not kind, you're not loving. All right, I'll just put it to you straight up. If you're not kind in your words or your actions, the way you say things, you're not loving the other person. You're just not. You're being unloving. That's the opposite of this command. So the essence of love is kindness. Kindness. The main idea here is that love is the essence of the nature of God, which motivates us to take the initiative to reflect His nature through actions of kindness that help others become more like God and Jesus Christ. In 1 John, John says, God is love. It's His very essence. It's His very nature is love. Now, if we're going to love one another the way Christ loves us, we're going to have to know how God loves us. And we quote John 3.16 all the time, don't we? For God so loved the world that he, what? Required this and this and this. Is that what it says? No. Huh. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God took the initiative. And if we're going to love one another the way Christ loves us, we're going to have to take the initiative to demonstrate to them what God is like. Because that's the essence. That is the personification of love. 
God. Now, a lot of times, the way we live is we live according to our distorted view of God. So we got to keep going back to the scriptures to check ourselves to make sure we understand what God is truly like so we can reflect it. Does that make sense? Because if we, do, if we have a distorted view of God, then the chances of us reflecting a distorted God is very great. All right? So every time we have problems, I say we, I'm, every time I have a problem <laughs> with my wife or my child or a church member, it usually comes back to one or both of us not living according to what we say God is. So we have to get to know him in order to love the way he loves us. So here's the key question that you need to ask yourself in whatever situation you find yourself in. What is the kindest thing I can do? What's the kindest thing I can do because you see that's what love does it, it is kind if you're not kind you're not loving you can say I love you but they're not going to feel it they're not going to know it because you haven't been kind I mean isn't that true you can be mean and all of this kind of stuff, and then you go, but I love you. Sorry, you just negated it. You can say I love you, and you just cheapen the word because you don't love. You're not loving because you're not kind. So if you get nothing else today, realize we have to work at being kind to one another. Do we not? Or am I the only one that struggles with that? It's, it's my nature not to be unkind. I mean, to be unkind. I have to work at being kind. In other words, I have to stop and think before I speak. Because <laughs> the most natural thing <laughs> to come out of my mouth is something that's unkind rather than something that is kind. And so this question helps me a great deal. What's the kindest thing for me to do? Sometimes the kindest thing is to shut up <laughs> and to walk away, <laughs> isn't it? But you come back and you deal with things because you love them. And you want to demonstrate that you love them. And so you do what is kind. The second thing is, I want you to go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We won't deal with this whole text, but really verses 1 to 19 is an amazing uh, passage on love. It starts off, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Wow! Then he says, Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Wow. Now, look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. What? He who does not love his brother abides in death. Did you see that? Now let me ask you, how important is loving one another? 
if you don't love each other, you're abiding in death. You're, you're abiding in something that's destructive. So the second thing I want you to see from this passage is that the importance of love is helpfulness. He goes on and he says, if you see your brother in need and, and you withhold your worldly possessions to meet that need, you don't love him. You don't. If you see a need and you're able to meet it, then love requires that you help the person. Does it make sense? So we've seen the essence of love is kindness, but the importance of love is helpfulness. The importance, the main idea here is that the importance of loving one another the way Christ loves us is that it helps us, it helps others, and it impacts the world. Those three things. You see, loving other people helps you. It helps you become more like Christ. And we say, oh Lord, help us to become more like you. Make me more like you, Lord. And he gives us an opportunity. He gives us a difficult person to be kind to. Whether it's in our home or at work or just a stranger on the street. He says, here, you, you asked me to help you become more like me. So here's an opportunity. And we think he's going to give us someone easy to love. Someone that likes us. Is that how Christ loves? See, he loves the difficult people, not the one that likes him. Right? So we got to understand what we're truly asking of God or we're going to get upset. Lord, I ask you to help me to reflect your love and look, you gave me this jerk <laughs> that pushes all my buttons. Yeah. That's your golden opportunity to reflect me. Help him. Because you see, in helping him, it's going to help you. But if you don't help him, you're not going to be helped. These two things work hand in hand. One of the things that I learned in counseling is that if someone comes to you with a problem, usually it's because they're so self-absorbed. They're so self-focused, they can't see anybody else's need. And what you do is you get them involved in helping other people. And as they're helping other people, they feel better. Because we're not designed by God to live for ourselves. You see, that's Satan's lie, is selfish living, is satisfying. No. What's truly satisfying is when you give your life away, not when you get all you can from other people. So you have to ask yourself, what is it that I can do that is the most helpful thing for that person? That's the key question here. What is the most helpful thing I can do. Now, I want to pause before we go to the next thing, and that is that you need to understand when you help someone, it helps you. It helps them. But it also impacts the world for Christ. Others see what you're doing, and they go, why did they do that? What is it about him that's different? What is it about her that's different? Oh, they have a relationship with Christ, they say. That's why they do what they do. That's why they help this person that's difficult, that nobody else wants to help. It's amazing. When I was working in the, the jail 
We had some officers that nobody wanted to work with because they were too difficult. So the sergeant would send them to work with me. <laughs> I'm serious. And, and if anybody got into trouble, he goes, he would, he would threaten them. You better be careful or I'm going to send you up and work with Smith for two weeks. Oh, it's okay. I won't do it. I won't do it. I'm going, what is it about me, man, <laughs> that, that I'm the punishment? <laughs> he said, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong. He said, I know that if these guys come and work with you, you're going to make them do their job. You won't let them off the hook. Or you won't sign the paper <laughs> that said they made the rounds. And they know that. So they don't test it. They do their job. And since they didn't do their job over here, they're going to work with me because they know I'm going to make them do their job. And I'm going, oh, man, you make me sound like such a bad dude. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, I had one guy test me, and I said, you know, I love you too much to do your job for you. I respect you too much to let you be lazy because I know you're a better man than that. <laughs> and he goes and he does what he's supposed to do. His job. I mean, he is getting paid for it. I'm not getting paid for what he does. And so that was the most loving thing, the most kind thing, the most helpful thing was to get them to do what they should do. Now I want to go over to Romans chapter 12. This is another passage that you need to you need to immerse yourself in. We know verses one and two, don't we? I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that's usually about as far as we get in Romans 12. But it talks about um, thinking about yourself in the right manner. And then look at verse 9. He says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, in this passage, he tells us a lot of things to do that would be helpful, right? But we, we don't do just one thing. We do a variety of things depending on what's happening with the person. So here's the third thing that we learn is that the practice of love is to be personalized. All right? The practice of love is to be personalized. I forgot. I do have notes here. I've been forgetting. All right? So there we go. You've already gotten those. We're up to there. All right. Sorry about that. <clears throat> so we see that the, the practice of loving one another is personalized 
by considering what is the most beneficial, what is most beneficial for a particular person in a particular situation. Did you notice this passage that said, weep with those who weep? That's their situation. They're grieving. So what, what's the most loving thing to do? Go weep with them. Someone's rejoicing. Rejoice with them. There was, a, there was a, a time in our church where we had to do this on the same day. There was a, there was a great blessing that this person shared, and we're just like, woo, this is great, you know? And then someone else in our church shared that they just found out that they're dealing with cancer. So we're, yay! Oh, no. And after church... You could see people going, man, that is great, man, that is fantastic news. And then five minutes later, they're over here just going, I'm so sorry. I'm, you know, and they're weeping. Why? Is that being a hypocrite? No, that's being loving in a personalized manner. Because we take into consideration what's the most beneficial thing to do for this person in this situation, at this time. You see, there's not a just do this one thing fix for everything. You have to live with people with understanding. You have to know what's going on in their life. You you do. And then you can say, God, what is the most loving thing I can do for this person? But here's the key question then. What is the most personalized, what is the most personalized thing I can do for this person at this time that will benefit them the most in their current situation? You know, if you just stop and think about what people are going through, it'll help you understand what you could do. And you pray and you walk in the Spirit and let the Holy Spirit direct you and lead you and say, okay, I need to do this. I need to write them a letter. I hadn't seen them in a while. I need to call them. You see, we need to to do a variety of things to let people know we care, that we love them that we cherish them, that their relationship with us is important. We can't take that for granted. We have to keep sharing and doing these things in this list in Romans chapter 7. Let love be without hypocrisy. The poor what is evil cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference. I mean, goodness gracious, there's a lot of things there. So the practice of love is personalized. So we've seen that the essence of love is kindness, the importance of love is helpfulness, the practice of love is personalized, but the fourth thing I want you to see is that the cost of love is sacrificial service. Again, it will cost you It will cost you to love one another as Christ loves you. In this passage in Romans 12, we talk about a living sacrifice in the context of loving one another. If you want to love one another as Christ loves you, then you're going to have to learn to sacrifice. You'll have to give up some things, like your time, your energy, You may even have to be inconvenienced in order to help someone. And that has to be okay with you. Now, the interesting thing in this part is that the practice of love, all right, excuse me, the cost of love, of loving one another the way Christ loves us, is sacrificial service which is offered up to God on the altar of human need. All right, now think about that. Our sacrificial service, 
what we do for another person is actually our sacrifice to God. And it's offered to God by meeting this human need. You say, now, Barry, where do you get that? Well, the living sacrifice is part of it. But if you will look at uh, Matthew chapter 25, do you remember that passage when Christ comes back and he separates the goats from the sheep? And what does he say to the sheep? When I was hungry, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was unclothed, when I was naked, you gave me clothes. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. When I was in this terrible state, you ministered to me. And they go, Lord, when did we see you like that? When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. You remember that passage? But he goes on, he says to the goats, <laughs> when I was hungry, you didn't give me anything to eat. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. When I was naked, you didn't give me any clothes. When I was in prison, you didn't come to visit me. When did we see you in that need? When you saw it, these little ones, you didn't do it with them. You didn't do it with me. So you see, the way that we sacrifice to God is by meeting others' needs. And so if it's a financial need, we go, okay, the things that I was planning on spending my money on, I will give to them. That's a sacrifice to God, but it helps them. Do you see how love works? Do you see the cost of it? It will require you to make sacrifices if you want to love as Christ loves. I remember look, looking at Christ um, came back from a time of ministry. He says, let's go to the other side of the lake and uh, we'll, we'll rest a while. They get over to the other side of the lake and there's 5,000 people waiting on them. And there's another whole day of ministry. And then Christ sends them away. And then he sends his disciples away. And he goes up on the mountain. That's, that's the only time he has solitude. Is when everybody else is gone. And it's the middle of the night. And then he came walking on the Sea of Galilee at around 3 o'clock in the morning. Not much sleep. Not much solitude but a lot of sacrificial love because he was meeting the needs of the, of the multitudes. Now, question here is what is the most acceptable sacrifice? What's the most acceptable sacrifice I can make to God that would demonstrate his love for this person at this time in their current situation? You see how that works? And we're tying some things in there together. As you're ministering to someone's need in a variety of ways, you're personalizing it. It can be your offering to the Lord as you love one another. And then the goal. The goal of love is Christ-likeness. You probably know this. Scott's told you that time and time again. <laughs> the goal in life for the Christian is to be like Christ. Well, the goal of love is no different. The goal of love is Christ-likeness. We see that in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 as well. The main idea here is that the goal of loving one another, the way Christ loves us, is to become more Christ-like as we seek to help others become more Christ-like. I've heard it put this way, that love is a choice that one makes for the highest possible good in another. And the highest possible good is to be like God or to be like Christ. So the most loving thing to do is to make choices that will help others become 
more like Christ. And that simplified it for me. So sometimes the most loving thing is a rebuke. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's a word of exhortation. You see, what will help them become more like Christ? That's the goal. And if I know what I'm shooting for, then I can come alongside of them and give this person what they need to become more like him. And in so doing, I'm reflecting Jesus Christ. So it helps me, help them. But we're both seeking to be like Christ. You see how that fits together? Now that's a life changer. That, that's a game changer. If, if we stopped and evaluated everything we did in the light of the goal, are we achieving it? Are we even reaching for it? Are we trying to live that out? So the key question here is, how can I reflect Christ in this situation with this person? How can I, how can I reflect Christ? Because reflecting Christ is going to help them become more like Christ. And then the last thing I want to share with you is that the particulars a love is varied. Like I mentioned, there's, there's over 30 uh, one another's in Scripture. And I believe that all of those other one another's tell us how to love one another as Christ loves us. So it gives you a variety of things that you can do for people. Some are involved in enhancing relationships or enriching our relationships with one another. Some things are to enhance our ministry with one another. So the main idea here is that the particulars of loving one another, the way Christ loves us, is varied in the ways it enriches relationships and enhances ministries. As we think through these one another's, for example, we read in verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. All right, he talks about distributing to the needs of the saints. That's a ministry. So some of these one another's enrich our relationships. They make us feel like brothers and sisters in Christ. That we're really part of a family. So let me ask you, do you feel like you're part of a family? Or do you feel like you're part of a social club? Well, if you feel like coming to church is the same feeling you get when you go to a social club, then you're probably not loving the way Christ loves you. Because he doesn't make you feel like you belong to a social club. He makes you feel like family. He adopts you into his family. You feel adopted? You feel like your siblings? Now let me ask you, do siblings fight every once in a while? Should it surprise us that we fight with each other once in a while? We're brothers and sisters after all. <laughs> But what do we usually do? We usually tuck tail and run rather than working things out because we're family. You, you see the significance of loving one another the way Christ loves us. The key question here is which one another passage of Scripture should I apply in order to enrich this relationship or enhance this ministry. And that's what we have to ask ourselves. How do I apply the Word of God to this particular relationship, to this particular ministry? Now, in closing, I just want to share these last, these six things. The essence of love is kindness. The importance of love is helpfulness. The practice of love is personalized. The cost of love is sacrificial service. The goal of love is Christ-likeness. And the particulars 
of love is buried. Now, in conclusion, I want to say this. Since God is love and love is of God, we ought to love one another through actions of kindness that help others become more like God in Jesus Christ so they can love others too. To love like God loves, we must initiate the action toward another person, not wait on them to love us before loving them in return. Isn't that the way God loves us? He doesn't wait on us to love Him. Matter of fact, we love Him because He first loved us. So if we're going to love other people the way He loves us, we got to take the initiative to love them before they love us. If they reciprocate, fantastic. If they don't, that's okay. Because my goal is not to get them to love me. My goal is to reflect the love of God. Makes sense. So we cannot love God apart from loving one another. Jesus, Jesus said, you know, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Right? And the second is like unto it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, no, I don't want you to love one another as yourself any longer. That's not good enough. That's not going to impact the world. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. So if you love God, you will love others. Loving others will require you to think and act out what is the kindest and most helpful thing you can do in a personalized manner, realizing God is worthy of your sacrificial service so that you and the one you are loving can become more like Christ. The way you demonstrate Christ-like love will be varied and tailor-made for each person in their particular situation. If we take up this challenge, notice what Christ says. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You will impact the world for Christ if you love as he loves.